Welcome to Radio Free Demos, an Ixundraconus fan podcast broadcasting from a post-Demos orbit on Voltaire Station. This is Radio Free Demos episode 61, Do They Know It's Christmas? This week's episode features HSD author Pierce Fraser, also known as Sev, who joins us at Voltaire Station to talk about some of the more recognizable signature characters in the world of HSD, and some of the new ones we haven't met yet. This is the first of two holiday episodes this year. The next one will be a grab bag of short bits and features from the greater Ixundraconus community, loosely themed around holidays, the end of the year, and light in the dark. I want to post that episode New Year's Eve, so there's still a little time if you want to get involved. We're looking for short pieces, 3 minutes to 7 minutes, which is about 1 to 2 pages of written material. Adventure seeds, campaign NPCs or settings, that sort of thing, ideas you want to explore. I'm working on a fiction piece. I'm hoping this can be a nice little Christmas holiday audio magazine for the HSD world, and thank you so much to the folks who have already contributed. If you've got an idea, drop me a note at our email address, radiofreedemos at gmail.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, or drop me a note on Telegram, I'm at Kaladog, K-H-A-L-A-D-O-G. And I'm happy to record something from a text document, but new voices are really my ideal, I can do audio cleanup and such like to polish things up, it's not a problem at all. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. This interview is coming directly from the North Pole. With me in the deep void of space this week is HSD creator Pierce Fraser, although it's his Twitch stream we're on, so maybe I'm with him. I do not know. It's a combination. I'll take it. Okay. I've temporarily okay. docked. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about Christmas with some of HSD's signature characters, so print out a fresh batch of wassail and some gingerbread weasels and join us for the next indefinite period of time, probably extending between an hour and an hour and a half. Hi. Hey there. So enlighten me, because my Google subscription has lapsed. What exactly is Wassail? Like, is that a beer so bad you can only make it once a year? Or how does that work? Uh, no, it's it's like obsessive compulsive apple cider. Uh, you throw in one of those oranges that's studded with cloves and a bunch of chopped up apples and two bottles of red wine and half a bottle of bourbon or brandy, cinnamon sticks, and three peppercorns. That sounds more delightful than I really expected it to be. Sometimes you can add apple juice, too. It smells wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was like a, a seasonal beer that was not all that particularly great, but I guess oh. I was just, I hadn't, I was unaware. No, it is fortified apple juice, and then you think about it. Specifically about the wassail, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's its own genre. It gets better with more. The singing probably does get better, or more enthusiastic, at least. Mm-hmm. You have any holiday plans this year? Um, the usual. We're just trying to survive it till the end of the holidays. Uh, Wines has decided he's going to start a fur con, so we're having a dance-slash-fundraiser on New Year's. I think that's the big holiday event for our little corner of the world. For this season? Or just in general? Like the convention Uh, is going to be a seasonal convention? The convention is going to be out January 2021. It's going to be gently adult, not seriously adult, but kind of like kid-not-friendly-ish. I'm babbling. But we'll see how it goes, but we're going to – we have a – a local, really nice local music venue has invited us to show up with furries and drag queens, and we're going to show up with furries and drag queens. I mean, you can't pass that up. No, no. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Presumably great for them, great for us. It'll be fun. We'll see. Hopefully it works out. Now I have a riddle. What's soft and round, and you put it on the end of a stick and toast it in the fire, and it's green. So this week, we're going to talk about uh, some of your signature characters and maybe how they intersect with some nebulous ideas about holidays in 
2750 or whenever. But I want to talk about the sort of ethical, moral, philosophical problem I had in scripting out this episode. And that is the issue of naughty or nice. Go on. But the issue is that you did not seem to believe that it was a valid concept. And I strongly disagree. I think that naughty and nice are universals. I mean, that does kind of hinge upon a, a universal system of judgment, I would suppose. Right. No, I, I, I do agree. And in, in a corptocracy where keeping your receipts is probably more important than traffic right away and such, there are no like moral absolutes. But naughty and nice, I think there is an absolute, and that is how badly did you annoy your parents over the last year? <laughs> yeah, but but if then then you 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 swing that back around like oh they were super annoying. I'm not going to give them any gifts. Are the parents now officially naughty? I mean that's kind of shitty. You didn't give your kids any gifts. It's it's not a commutative formula. Uh, it only goes one way. Parents determine naughty of the kids, not the other way around. So the other are parents inherently, inherently evil? Well. I mean, they suffer a lot, so <laughs> sort of the or inherently grand good. If there's no, no, no parent no. involved, well, well, we'll look at like the little matchstick girl and the way she. Okay, so you're right, but the naughtiness. Uh, well, now you're making me question my entire ethical. System. <laughs> I think it's highly reliant on there being a certain family structure that may not even exist at the time. Okay, well, I have to scrap that then for the most part. It's fair. I say so, we, we, we'll base it entirely on the, the objective opinions of random people nearby, like are you or naughty nice as compared to the cell phone salesman that you spoke to last week or your current employer. <laughs> or the combined total listeners of your Twitch stream and my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so take a vote, yeah. Seven. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Information is fed into their minds in a constant stream. So let's get to your characters. You kind of listed out seven little, I don't know what the right word is. I've been thinking like biomes or kind of families or plots. I don't know. They're little narrative structures of supporting cast and a couple of major characters. And we had about five, ignoring the um, Shadow Presidency, which is, that's a bit meta for my taste right now. No, they're part of the bigger plot. So I guess it kind of depends on what you're trying to to follow at the time. Every time I talk about the quote bigger plot, I, I run into this this kind of hiccup because at at the pace that I'm currently proceeding, we're still not all that far into the bigger plot, are we? Trying to, but just just getting books out takes enough time that um, <laughs> you can't get it into the bigger plot in a hurry. Yeah, White Wolf's metaplot does advance faster than HSDs, so there is that. Yeah, well, they've had a bit more time to get to it. Fair enough. And they kind of began at it, which was a different thing too. You know, when it was when Werewolf arrived, it was already the apocalypse was strapped to the end of it behind a colon. So <laughs> the you, you have arrived at the metaplot. Congratulations! Uh, it was part of the big one. Whereas HSD is kind of like here's the world, and by the way, the end times are coming. We'll get to that in a moment. And the moment, you know, it takes as long as it takes for me to end up writing the moment. So the first chunk you mentioned, it revolves around a character that I was not aware actually had a name <laughs> until very recently. And that is a uh, Farin Moire. Yeah. And I actually had to recheck the, no, uh, the no, novels, no. Um, the novels no. used for her last name, because I think the, uh, it might have changed when we ended up publishing it. That was no. the original stage name that I kind of still have in my head. But definitely Faerun. We're content with yeah, that. Yeah, Faerun's her, her first name. I, I can't recall if we ended up tweaking the last name for the novel or not, but it's the same character. 
And she has been in every single, almost every single product, maybe not some of the contracts, but she's the front character, the front page character for HST2. Yeah, the big books, yeah. Yeah, and the last time I saw her, she was facing down what looked like an armada uh, and piloting a starship towards the Ruby Spire. Is that Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, same character. And she is the the secondary star in the first novel with Nadia. So she's the one that that comes and meets her, is part of that that adventure. That is a fairly epic life we have there. Yeah, she's fun. It's it's an old character of mine that I had kind of put together just a long time ago just to put her together and that was when when things started getting planned for the overall franchise and this is the case with many of the characters which i'm i i hardly think is exclusive to hsd like i don't know if you recall the days of, of dnd 3.5 when you had folks like tordek wandering around and stuff but you know every every content of every gamer's book is consisted of either testing characters or somebody's old character from way back when like that uh, goes back to that goes back to Morden Kane and yeah, like the, you know, all all of the above. So I'll forgive you for having uh, at least three of these characters be your icon for a the, while. The, the couple drop-ins, yeah, but yeah, she was uh, she was one of them. Nadia has been one of them. Several of the people in that initial block that you were mentioning are part of the larger what I call the actual plot of the game. So there, there's that big plot, which would be the werewolf colon the plot. HSD colon the plot consists of these people and the adventure that they will eventually go down, um, assuming the novels progress that far and the adventures progress that far and stuff. Many of them are taking the place of who your party characters would be. So, for instance, the Stars of Orlandria contract, uh, the party that goes up to encounter Elysium in that contract is Feyrin's party. And in canon, she's the one that goes up to do that. That's how the two of them meet. Huh. And likewise, in several of the other missions, like your party that is encountering with Rio, she actually deals with other people in that same contract. So the one where they're chasing down the Paleman uh, in in the Eon contract um, actually consists of several people that are written down in this list of, of group as well. So most of the contracts that you're participating in are, are pieces of character canon. <laughs> Does Theron have a corporation that she associates with? I haven't really met her formally yet. I mean, in the novel, yes, apparently. And I forgot this. <laughs> so in the, in the novel that you you completely blinked from your memory, she uh, it's it's basically a mercenary group. She kind of calls it an aggressive problem solving group. But it's, uh, another, it's called, another ragtag group of misfits. Yeah, uh, is called White Hand, uh, who she represents because she's got that that uh, kind of handprint on the face, so it's become sort of an icon for the character. Huh. But her her story has got a lot of different things sort of attached to it that go into the larger sort of character intrigue for the setting involving just the other people that are that are in that block beyond just kind of being the the local badass. Well, we've met uh, Feyrin and Nadja. They're kind of the I'm not going to say I was about to say power couple. That doesn't seem accurate. But the main the main two leads from Fates Fangs Fangs Fates Fates Fangs. Fortunes Fortunes Face one of those Fifty Fit. <laughs> And uh, also in her orbit, uh, we've got Nico, Nico Pole. That's the gender yeah. swapping bat yote. Yeah, uh, they were also the um, one of the shadow presidents for the IRPF. Really? They're mentioned in the back of Senate Silence. So people mm-hmm. who are trying to, to keep up with these names, if you're, if you're out there in the internet world right now and you have Senate Silence, you can find them on all fine pages for you since we're I- talking about them. Oh my gosh, I thought Nicopole was Spyglass. 
Uh, no, the the story that he's in is a spyglass story, but he he uh. is the shadow president for the RPF, which is actually one of the reasons they brought him in. It's kind of part mm-hmm. of part of her story. But yeah, uh, her official title is the Dark because the RPF shadow presidency is, is broken into four people that operate in different sectors. Uh-huh. And the uh, the dark role is for somebody that's in the areas that they're actually not even really supposed to be in. But like any big, you know, giant empire, oh. they they spread out to spots that they're not really officially a part of, that, so that they can that, keep an eye on it. That makes a lot of sense. And the shadow president kind of transcends the corporation that they mm-hmm. they they can act on their own, and that's significant. Yeah. Nicopole's got a lot of, of interesting kind of, of training behind him just by virtue of the way he came to be, and it made him rather ideally suited for being able to, to kind of cross borders and, and blend in a variety of different areas. And uh, Elysium Winters, another member of this cadre, she's a TTI agent, I think? No, she was Marska. Elysium, oh. Elysium is the, uh, the bird from the first contract. I am really failing my my uh, HSD literacy test today. <laughs> uh, you remember the Stars of Orlandry contract where you had to go up in space and I think yeah. you played it at one point. Yeah. So the character that you meet up there is this character. It's a variety of people interact with her in all sorts of different ways. A lot of people end up killing her. Canonically, she lives because canonically the person who goes on this mission is Feyren. Right. Uh, and, is, so, and I feel like you dodged my question a little bit. Is Feyren uh, Marsco? Uh, is Corp? Yeah, she's she's officially Marsco. Where she's actually from is kind of a a mystery, but she's her her citizenry is is to Mars. Okay, okay, as is half the universe. Yeah, that's fair. And a couple other people in their orbit: some Cogsunes, uh, Cassius Kale, the Rabbit. I feel like I've heard that name before. At the beginning of the little cinematic that you mentioned, there's a quote. Ah, he's also one of the figures that came out of the recent Kickstarter. Okay, okay, so maybe I've seen his name littering the floor in some context like that. Initially, I felt like there was kind of a somewhat anti-corporation vibe running through the party, but I may retract that. Maybe that's just kind of Nadia. Well, there's a few different things that kind of go with it. So here's the story. I'll give you, I'll give you a big, long spiel, I guess, on the folks, since we're here, just to kind of get to know the characters a little bit. A lot of this stuff was intended to come out in... in pieces of literature or novels or whatnot, but I do have to, to sort of approach things from a realistic standpoint. The novels don't make a lot of money. There's no telling when I'll eventually have to stop those, so there's not much harm in just talking about them now, you know, if people are interested about where stories were or have going. So, aside from just kind of being the warrior archetype character that's kind of nice to have as the the forerunner for, for any kind of adventure game, you usually expect to get, you know, one or two very, of those. Yeah, they're very photogenic. Yeah, uh, they they tend to do well on book covers. I mean, <laughs> at least I, I'd like to think so. Maybe not, but I keep putting her there, so I, <laughs> seems to be the case. And she's got you know other uh, features as well. She's got a sense of humor and practicality, and kind of knows when to dive in and and when to retreat and stuff. So it's not just the the full on Klingon on her, you know, attack to the death. She has six limbs. Yes, that's also highly important to her character, I suppose. <laughs> but mass is a whole lot. Just don't, you know, <laughs> weigh it in. As her story continues, you kind of get elements of her earlier life. Uh, you don't get a whole lot of these in Faith Fangs because Faith Fangs is primarily about Nadia. But the next book that was intended for this going forward, it may still arrive at some point. I haven't thrown it out the window or anything like that. It just needs to be spaced out because they need funding in order to happen. Uh, is you you kind of find out that she was originally a well-ranked Mars Coast soldier, so she's part of a special forces unit. 
And there was an event that took place wherein she and her unit were dropped into a, a situation where they were really under-equipped and the intelligence had not been sufficient to uh, inform them of, of what they were encountering. You know, they went in there looking for something and it was totally different. And they got wiped. She lost like seven good people, including her partner, and were decimated. And they, they pulled it off. And it was an entirely avoidable problem had somebody actually just done their job properly. And following this event, she basically takes on this private war with Mars Coast Military Division and fights to get the way things are done changed from within, pulls in all sorts of favors, and, and does this kind of grassroots movement to get just the way this particular operation for special forces units and stuff to, to get it improved. It's basically a push for a, a, a change in quality of life and accountability and stuff. And it actually ends up working, which is a big achievement in this sort of universe to get something like this altered. And that goes a long way to explain why she never looks happy. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a pretty rough moment. She she lost a uh, she lost a really good friend the night that she was very close to, and there was a big long fight afterward to try to get something done about it, and it worked. And this was like sufficient to sort of get her almost hero like credibility with other soldiers because it just isn't something that accomplishes very often to actually change the way you know things are done from within. But after it happened, she she was basically she was kind of done with them. She'd lost a lot of people. She she had won her her battle to try to, to get some closure on the issue, and she wanted to distance herself from the whole thing. So she leaves and, and forms a private organization called White Hand. A few years into that is where we meet her in Fates Fangs. Hmm. And in that organization are several of the names on that list. So Hellenix is part of that organization, and Elysium becomes part of that organization when she gets recruited in. So does Nadia. Hellenix uh, Hil- is a, a shark of some sort? I, yeah. I don't. He hasn't been mentioned in any any of the stuff yet because he, oh. he would be in this next part since he's part of her team. I like him. He's he's kind of a sad guy. He's he's vaguely based on vaguely based on the kind of character archetype that I guess I don't know if you've seen any of the uh, the Ghost in the Shell franchise. I feel like I have not recently. Oh, well. uh, he's not a gritty loner, is he? No, he's not a gritty loner. He, he's actually he's he's a, a very nice guy and a very. <laughs> I'm gonna be gritty loner. He's part of a team, but he's a nice guy and and very capable. But there's just a he came from a sad place and was essentially rescued from it, but never really recovered from it. So he was a he was another career soldier that was ready to retire and start a family and had a had a wife and a, a kid that was on the way and lost them all in a hot zone. Um, yeah. And he never really pulled out of it. And he basically drank himself to a point of suicidal depression and was picked up. Faye has this habit of saving people. She just notices that it's one of the quirks that she has is, is noticing, you know, when she can grab somebody from the brink of something. That's why she grabbed Nadi to be with. She pulls him in and it becomes a new thing to kind of work for. And he's happy to do it and is this capable and loyal guy, but it never really improves his overall mental state. It gets him to stop drinking. He sobers up and you know has a, a purpose for living, but there's always this this kind of I already lost the big fight. I'm just kind of carrying on right now. At least now I have a plot. I can move forward. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, I need to circle back with you or the universe about hot zones and kind of the scale they operate on. Because I mean, functionally, any combat or conflict in HSD kind of is framed around a hot zone sort of. Yeah, and, and they can be retroactively assigned that title to make them legal. Oh, okay. That- <laughs> so they, 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 I mean, it's, it's the same with any money-based corporate society, right? Oh, that's wholly illegal, except that somebody paid me off. So we're going to go ahead and call this, you know, uh, their paperwork came in late. 
<laughs> and it's the same with bringing, you know, unnecessary levels of aggression. There's a fine associated with that. Well, the funny thing about fines is if you're rich, they're not a big deal, you know? <laughs> so I want to eventually kind of bring all of this back to Christmas because that's one of the reasons we're here today. It seems like Farron and her group are really kind of living on the edge of the meta plot, like on the vanguard that's about to face down the Ruby Spire. They're in a very epic place. We know in sort of semi-canon that there is a time for kind of a feel-good holiday, get-together, camaraderie event thing. It's called Christmas. How can she find that kind of camaraderie when she's living the vanguard of the plot? Well, that's, that's, it's the family you make kind of thing. Most of the characters that are, that are involved in her organization don't really have a whole lot of standing family. Nadia, as you learn from the book, basically leaves her planet behind. Um, and didn't have a whole lot on it to begin with. Faye has like six or seven different paths. One of her kind of issues is that she has what the book calls legacy memory. So she oh, has yes. memories of and identities of many people, most of them human. And over the years, it's kind of blended with her, her mental image. So she's not entirely certain where she came from to begin with. And the tricky thing about it is something weird did happen in her youth. She doesn't have a birth record anywhere. Her citizenship is through the Marscom military. And she's got a lot of, of different quirks and whatnot that kind of indicate that she could be from a, a variety of different places. They're not certain. She she had white fur before the accident that, that killed off the team. White fur is kind of prized in Ganymede. It's just a social thing. So they tend to end up in integrating it more often and it breeds forward and there's a higher population of it. And pumas don't normally have white fur, so it's unusual. I will hold on to that fact. That'll be interesting later on. Yeah, it's just the snow thing. Culturally, it's kind of a, a status thing. Um, and and because when you do do changes like that to fur coloring, you tend to do it at the genetic level, it carries forward, forward to the kin. Huh. So, you know, that was a thing. Now, obviously, that doesn't prove anything because there's white fur uh, morphisms all over the place. But that's a thought. She's also very superstitious, which is often uh, a quality of Europans. It could be a quality of anywhere. It's something that comes out of Europa. She's she's heavier built and has a lot of musculature, which is something that tends to get attributed to Venusians as opposed to Martians. So, like, there's a lot of different, you know, nobody's entirely certain where she came from, and neither is she, and tends not to talk about it, because she remembers, like, six or seven different childhoods. Huh. And if you want to flesh out the family idea, uh, the two Cogsunis would make great crazy uncles. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, she ends up having a big tiz with one of them. But, but yeah, so she has assembled a family, and so have the other people. The only people, one of the few people on that group that still has actual family is Elysium, but she doesn't identify with them very well anymore because her brain got kind of tweaked by the chemical. So she's just more comfortable hiding in her little room at the base that they have. But, you know, it's, it's the usual group of, of here's a bunch of, of misfits who have come together under a common goal. The common goal being we seem to be good at punching people and also we need money. Uh, <laughs> but we also like each other fairly well. <laughs> So when you wonder if your party has a good core concept, we can compare ourselves to this and Pretty you know, much, we're on the same yeah, page. You know, it's it's how you get together. There's a there's a degree of, you know, swashbuckling to it. They're not criminals, but they are, you know, violence consultants. So occasionally that means you go off and do stuff that's more or less, you know, you couldn't ask the IRPF to do it what PC groups are for. Yeah, pretty much. They, they are intended to be a reflection of a PC group because this is the core group that you would be following if you were going to be like kind of reading about the overall plot. So let's move on to the second little biome. Um, and these, I don't think I've met any of these 
in the book context yet. Um, we're starting with Lani, who I feel like I've seen on a daily basis for quite some time. Like, yeah, that- she's she's an icon currently. Like the icon that I've got on my my little what's a jiggle Discord thing is that um, mostly because I have no icon for myself, so I just kind of use what I have on hand. Lonnie is a character that I played um, who has become a a fun enough character that I want to use her going forward as a narrative piece. That that is your prerogative as the author. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, people can tell me I'm wrong, and they usually do. But I mean, I, I think she's kind of fun. She's also in the rule book a few times. Really? She's, yeah. She, if you go to the hacking section, there's an example that uses her name. Uh-huh. Where she's breaking into vending machines. Page 171 uh, has a picture of her in a little little thing where she's uh, uh, using hacking to bust into a vending machine. It was no, the, we need hobbies example. But yeah, she was a fun, kind of sassy character that I enjoyed playing and had a fun backstory for. She's Spyglass and fairly loyal Spyglass and represents an aspect of that corp that is more on the kind of ground level as opposed to the higher corporate level, uh, which there are some other other characters that are more on the higher corporate level. Just because she operates more on a like a PC scale? Kind of. Her backstory is essentially that she was born this deformed hybrid, was half blind and half deaf, and had stunted broken wings and ragged ears and, and mottled scales. And it was basically the example of what happens when hybridism actually causes the problems. Wow. Normally with, with PCs, we see hybrids that kind of went well, but hybriding, according to how they tried to solve the mutt situation, is, is a genetic problem. And she was an example of what happens when it kind of is the problem. So unhealthy, yeah. wasn't evenly born and difficult to sustain with and was healthy enough to continue living. But her prospects just weren't very high without extensive reconstruction. Even though the the whole social stigma of laterals and hybrids is 500 years in the past, she does seem kind of extreme. So she kind of lived like a leper until she was about eight where she was just sort of on the on the street. And the spyglass, you can kind of make that work as long as you're clever. Because she was a character that people would sort of look away from, somebody who was influential in, in Spyglass territory kind of took her in because this was a person that they could that they could place in situations that people would deliberately ignore. It's the idea of like the, the spy that you choose not to look at. And eventually ended up adopting her as kind of a moral advisor because she ended up having – she was actually just a very intelligent person who was, uh, had this kind of strict code of, you know, you can do the following things, but you need to do them in the, the following ways or you're going to end up driving yourself down a bad path. She served a lot of, of different purposes in his house. Uh, she was a playmate for his daughter. You know, he, he was this kind of mob boss, and he liked having her around because she was somebody that he could trust was from nothing. You know, she didn't have any other any other attachments or anything like that. She was just this this uh, sounding board that he could use. Going further into her biome, we've got uh, Aya Aya, uh, whose whose given name is Aya. Her her uh, I guess pulse name is Torque, if I'm not mistaken. That is a great cheetah pulse name. Thank you. <laughs> I, I have nothing more to say about it. <laughs> Yeah, Torque was the um, the the title that uh, Polar the the first picture that you see of her uh, was drawn by an artist that goes by Mad Polar, who uh, has done several of the art pieces for the book, and he had made the character's appearance, but hadn't really planned on doing anything with her. And I said, well, okay, well, I'll 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 buy the image off you because I have this cheetah character that I need for Pulse that I have an idea for, but I don't have an image for. Her. Hmm. And he had named the character Torque, so I just figured we'll make that the code name. Oh. It's it's often, you know, I need an asset, here's one available, so we're going to, to change things. 
the the Borg example is kind of a fun one too. The reason the Borg looked like the Borg in, in Star Trek is because the original big bad guy they introduced in season one was too damned expensive. So they swapped up to a, a technological bad guy instead of the organic bad guy that crawled inside your body and made your, your neck all puff up, if you recall your TNG lore from back in the day. Uh, I'm glad I don't. <laughs> it was the, it was the, yeah, like the, the episode before the finale, they introduced this big, you know, the scary alien race that could infest and control people. And they had a neat special effect that had them crawling into your, your mouth and controlling you from within. It was a pretty neat, scary episode that introduced a big bad guy, but it was deemed impractical. Because they were going to have to make organic ships and a bunch of scary stuff that they couldn't do. So the entire plot was dropped and the Borg were introduced in season two. Okay. Oh, we uh, CGI would make it a little easier now, but that's... Yeah, necessity, basically. They used what they had. (laughs) So... On the subject of impractical special effects, uh, Rosni, have we met him, her, her, her? No, she's... um, I mean, you've seen her. She's, She's the example of the tentacled cog. Oh, kind of this sweepy yeah, looking one. Uh, it's, it's the same. It's the same character, but she hasn't had any speaking roles. This is a character that uh, Aya ends up partnering with after uh, she gets kicked out of Pulse. Does this little biome community have like a plot direction? I mean, I, I'm assembling them all from scraps. We haven't really talked too much about them yet. They're, so several of them are segmented the way they are because they were intended for either standalone stories or ways to introduce certain concepts into the game or novels. Uh, and that the one that you're currently talking about is a novel trilogy plot revolving around Aya and, and these other characters, basically working through how she fell out of Pulse, how she got roped into ASR, and her gradual progression toward becoming one of the first Sentinels, which is kind of where she stops. This is Torque? Yeah. Originally, she was a line runner for Pulse, and there was a there was a rival who basically um, sabotaged her run, and she ended up losing like an arm and a leg, falling down out of it, which normally wouldn't be a career-ending in- injury, but those yeah, those grow back. <laughs> yeah, uh, based on his his interference, he made it so that she was treated with cybernetics as opposed to having the injuries regrown or, or repaired and grafted. That um, is not that is not on brand for Pulse. Right. It wasn't it wasn't a good thing. It was certainly not what she was originally supposed to do, but he he arranged it. He he pulled his influence. And then he also made a smear campaign while she was essentially still being worked on, saying, mm-hmm. Look, you know, this has always been set up in the background. She she's always been loyal to this. It it's all gonna come out here in just a minute. And of course it did, because he arranged it too. And she basically got framed essentially as being a traitor to her fans to the company to to a lot of stuff um and was chased out lost all her cred yeah people people fall really hard in pulse so she ends up being recruited into asr who are kind of like well i mean shit uh we'll take you now (laughs) i mean you kind of have four (laughs) cybernetic limbs and and you need a job which was not something she was really eager to do but she had to she was currently on the outs with everybody and that introduces her to the the new cog partner which is the the character that's in there and she ends up gaining new fame in asr's proving grounds arenas as as a specific type of uh kind of robot combatant which gradually moves forward into a an ongoing plot where they're like hey this is all going really well how would you like to be the person who demonstrates this new technology we've developed called teleformic flash and and follows a plot where she is uh, set up to try out this new technology, show it off for a while, and ends up driving it out of control, trying to to protect some people. So there's a a fun little arc there that was hoped to put through a couple novels. When I make the new novels, I usually pitch a few plots to the writer and ask him which one he wants to do. This was one of the ones that he want uh, was given, like um, 
this one, and then I gave him the one for the the Blood in the Mist one, which he wanted to do more. So that's the one that came out this time. Otherwise, it'd be this one. Yeah, it seems like it'd be very hard to relate to an early adopter of biomorphic flesh. <laughs> well, it was it was essentially early early adopter isn't so much a. She is a, a person with a contract and an agent, right? So it's kind of like you can keep doing this and we'll keep taking the camera off you or I have a new premise for you. I have a stupid mechanical question, which I think Tygon might appreciate as well. Can cogs get biomorphic flesh? I don't think it's prevented on them. Okay. Yeah, no. I don't I don't think it's written in there that it, that it doesn't allow it to happen. The source material does not address this. Yeah. If it doesn't say no, it shouldn't be an issue. Because all it's doing is it's providing its own flesh replacement with nanites, which it can do on, on synthetic flesh too, for, for just over-the-cog stuff. And then it's consuming materials, which cogs have material that keeps okay. them going. So I had not managed to, since I don't really connect, have a connection to these characters, I don't really have like a Christmassy lens on them I can I can aim, but... But now I'm curious about Aya in particular. What is she doing for the holiday? <laughs> uh, depending on which stage of the story you're in, she's either running for her life or, um, I mean, being very famous. She was huh. when she was with Poles. She was, you know, the, the the kind of party animal, you know, happy, almost rock star type celebrity, right? So it's New Year's Rock and Eve. She's going to go out and and be with everything else. But after after the fall, she became a lot more broody and concerned because the world kind of turned against her. Mm-hmm. Um, she finds Lonnie in after after the Intellimorphic Flesh kind of takes over, and they end up becoming a bit more of a grounded team. So it could just consist of you know eating crap food that they've brought down to this sort of underground layer that they've got. And yeah, and, that is yeah. those are two, two two very outsider characters at that point. Yeah, Lonnie is uh, when I start up the Insight magazine, which was going to be a Patreon aspect, which I think I'm going to try to move into just to, to attract some more people to the the Patreon. Um, okay, I'm really, is, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that uh, a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm hopefully so, a little bit fun. But Lonnie hosts that; it's like her personal webcast oh, kind of thing. Neat. So it's it's her, you know, whatever format it is in the actual game, whether it's a visual format. I always assumed it was kind of like a live stream, but it's it's basically her selling secrets to the masses, and they're not terribly oh. important secrets. But like, here's how you get, you know, into this building, or here's a cool place to go if you want to make a few bucks. And it's and her sassing off to the camera. So she is she is spearheading this little campaign from from an underground location. Okay. So now, if you don't know about this, uh, this is a backer reward for donating to the Patreon account for donating to the HSD Patreon. Once we get to, I think, five hundred dollars a month, that's one of the stretch goals for it. Yeah, it's going to come down because I don't I don't think it's realistic, honestly, just with the number of people that I've got. So I'm going to uh, be putting it out soon to to backer levels, and then it will probably come out to the public like a month later or uh, several weeks later. That that model seems to be fairly popular. Okay, well, I am so looking forward to this. And uh, then I just have to see if it's sustainable or not, you know, if it's eating too much time or whatever. Okay, so that, I think, takes us down to, I think, a, a recent celebrity, uh, Rio and her friends. Uh, so I don't know how far into Rio we want to get since her book just came out, but uh, her story is dealing with a lot of the, um, some of the more super ash, supernatural aspects of the game. Um, So there are several characters in there that are tied pretty tightly to to TTI and transcendent technology. That does kind of answer one like sub question I have is uh, how canon is the novel? And that sounds like it's 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 up there. 
Yeah, all the all the novels are canon to the game, which I was actually kind of. I mean, is, dude, are there game companies that put out novels that aren't canon to the game? I mean, you can ignore them, of course, but like, yeah, they're they're part of the game story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I ignore some of them, not all. Um, but that's good to know. That this is kind of part of the world, and um, yeah, I can the, hold the on things to that. the things that happened in the official published novels are intended to be referenceable. Is should you want to, you know, they're, they're they're things that have happened. We do have a request not to spoil the uh, book meaningfully or much at all. So I'll hold that. It's only a few few weeks old at this point. Yeah, it's not terrible, but I mean, the characters in general are related to to uh, uh, some of the more transcendent plots. Yeah, I saw, that was kind of the unifying theme here. We've got uh, Temper Victoria, who's – is she the shadow president of TTI? Yeah, she's the TTI shadow president, and she's also, unlike a lot of the other presidents, she's actually well-ranked in the company. So yeah, she, she, seems like, she seems really nice. Yeah, fairly. <laughs> so she and there – are, there are a couple of characters that are in her sort of archetype. It's mostly her and Sentry, but they are, they are in the group of people that will sacrifice 100 to save 1,000. But mm-hmm. Temper, at least, she'll sacrifice a hundred to save a thousand. But at least she'll look and see if it's possible to sacrifice like ten. You know? Yeah, I expect cruel mathematics from Sentry. She's a computer. Yeah, well, Sentry. When Sentry looks at the long game, she's looking at millennia. She's a she's <laughs> kind of a, a timeless piece. So, like, yeah, if I need to kill three million because it's going to save the planet, that's not an issue. Um, temper is still a person. And while she has a, a greater cause to try to protect Soul from this this you know monstrous force that's coming forward, she's not really trying to just dump bodies into the hole. <laughs> it might end up that way, but it's not the goal. So she's she's reasonably nice, but it's to a uh, it's to a point. You know, when push comes to shove, she's going to do uh, whatever is necessary for it. And then we have uh, another Rio associated character, another tiger shark. That's. Uh- Kind of specific of you, sir. He's he's related, so he was on the aggressive oh. team that uh, took out Helix's family and most of the city block. Okay, there's a connection. Yeah, they they uh, they actually worked together at one point and were friends, and then there was a a thing that took place. He is actually currently under TTI's employ as kind of like a black bag agent. <laughs> like Helix is sent out to grab transcendent characters and bring them back when they become a problem. So yeah, this entire cluster is is TTI type folks. That leaves kind of Rio as the odd one out. Yeah, but she gets pulled into it as as time goes on. Not necessarily employed. It's just as you go into that sector of your life, or as you explore the transcendent things, you're going to find the people that work in them. That makes sense. Um, Miko is the first named bioprobe I think I've encountered. <laughs> I have to know more about her. Uh. She's uh, the image on the Transcendent Meltdown chapter in the main rulebook. She's in that picture. Okay. Uh, she was also in uh, another one later on with an exploding car behind her, which was a reference to a game that, that we had run. And the uh, the she was in the minis recently too. Was she the? There was a bioprobe like two I think like two years ago that. Yeah, she's she's kind of fun. She was a person at one point, ish, kind of, depending on how you decide to translate your your sort of transhuman elements. There was a character who uh, who was working in a a uh, uh, basically a blip manufacturing agency, custom custom <laughs> life form manufacturing agency, um, and then then Batman pushed him into the tank. <laughs> and then Batman pushed him. Yes, now less less forced, more 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 deliberate on this case, but uh, she. Um, 
uh, this blip organization is a subsidy of TTI, um, which happens. I mean, they didn't make their money for for things beyond just what they do. So they've got all kinds of different you know stuff as as all the megacorps like, do, like um, a blip support group sort of thing. No, wait, blip. You said blip, not yeah. So I mean, it's just a it's a place that you go to to have a custom life form made for you if you're trying to make custom oh, okay. kids or whatever. But it, it happens to be uh, a TTI subsidy. Okay, it's just who owns it. Um, but the. Uh, one of the things because of that is they 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 timeshare their hardware and they have a, a very nice piece of hardware that's capable of spooling um, the the FOA skin and the DNA that they get from that in case they want to make experiments with alien uh, genetics, which they do on occasion. Um, and she had a relationship with Temper that was a, a kind of friend relationship and stuff. And and but overall, this was a very dissatisfied person who who couldn't really figure out why she was having such a hard time in just in the world. And it kept going back to to not being satisfied with herself personally. She was just kind of like lusting over the bodies that she was making. You know how great it would be to be this entirely different creature. And was romanticizing the image, uh, and there's a whole big plot that kind of goes into it. It, it kind of comes down to body dysphoria and and, a, and several other different things that just drive her to this decision that eventually, she wants to create a duplicate of herself that can kind of experience a completely detached life that is no longer part of society, that is no longer beholden to certain rules or regulations, that's totally free, and and she's going to like, basically get notes from this new life form. It's like a secondary her. Interesting. Um, so there is a another clone of this personality out there somewhere. Then, well, sort of. Um, so uh, she was aware that Temper was was working with um, alien flesh and and uh, FOA DNA and stuff, and she helped develop a bioprobe with her, uh, and then ultimately stole the bioprobe uh, to use as as a base for this uh, this duplicate. But when she made it, she had this this idea that. Um, Ultimately, in her heart of hearts, she kind of figured this wasn't going to work. So there was a decision that was made when she did the brain scan that she was just going to put herself to sleep rather than staying awake for it. And when the other life form woke up, it would decide kind of how things went from there. And the other life form is Miko, who is basically a duplicate of her brain in a new body and sort of agreed subconsciously that this isn't going to work out. And she killed the original person on the table. So she continues with her life as this new life form, and the the Miko life form is a is a foa essentially. It is not required to be beholden to any of the. Uh, doesn't need to eat. Doesn't need cash. Can exist in all sorts of temperatures. Is space worthy. So she goes off to basically live as this this kind of monster and do a whole variety of different things. Which was what she was going for to begin with, was to become kind of completely detached and, and different and escape from all the um, social rules that have been holding her back all this time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but her connection is that she, as a transcendent life form that is actually living on a, on a planet as opposed to living on Europa with other FOA and stuff, she is of particular interest to Rio because they, they fall into a, a similar sector. Is she on Venus then? Yeah, she's on Venus currently. Okay, okay. I have a very Miami Vice image of Venus after the the novel right now. That 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 city is kind of ish like that. It's supposed okay. to be. Yeah, the city that she's in is supposed to be kind of a a you know rundown, beat up, good place for for crime rings and you know fun stuff to happen in. Gotcha. Um, so I guess that takes us to Rio. Um, now, minor confession: both Wines and I, when reading the novel, were We'd gotten Rio and Nicopole confused in our heads, and we're waiting for the entire novel for Rio to change gender. 
I'm sorry, that was a different character. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I really, I think I got I got attached to Nico uh, when I read her in, in uh, Sound and Silence. She's fun. She's uh, she's got a really complicated um, uh, genealogy going into her too, which is I, I really like the story. I think it's kind of sweet, but it's um, lengthy, so I don't know if you want it or not. <laughs> um, but the uh, uh, yeah, uh, Rio Rio is is the wolf um, who has the uh, atypical patterning is the only thing. Yeah, yeah, shockingly sparkle colored. Right. Okay, um, and she's a IRPF employee, uh, very much in the uh, lone wolf slash buddy flick uh, school of thought. Mm-hmm. At least in the novel, that's how she comes across. Yeah, it's it's kind of a cop partner, vaguely. I don't know. Noir is probably not the right term for it, but you know. You've seen the yeah. trope before. Uh, and not to spoil anything meaningful, but uh, if, if Randall doesn't make the list of canon characters, I will be profoundly upset. <laughs> well, he's in it. In the, in the novel, it still counts. Okay. Um, okay. I, I will probably get him. Oh, no. He is, he's got a picture. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, my, he's my current favorite. He's in Sound and Silence. In the beginning of... Um, I mean, it's not much of a, a feature for him, but he's in the story that... Uh, that is in the IRPF section of Sound and Silence. She's okay. talking to him. Yeah. I'll look for him there. Uh, Rand Rannell is a uh, macro lateral IRPF wolf. So I think we've played something very much like him in at least three games now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a, a, uh, a fun little character. Um, I think the author liked him a lot, too, Uh because he kept he kept doing the stuff. We had to to go back and edit the book a little bit. Because um, he kept rescuing her. <laughs> oh, no, you don't do that with a main character. Yeah. That's, that's not the right series of roles. Um, it was just a matter of of, of things uh, stacking up. So throughout the book, she's having to deal with basically two conversations. Right? There's the there's the conversation okay, be of reality. Be, be, be careful. <laughs> Spoilers, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, through distractions, he kept appearing, and we had to go back and be like, "No, wait a minute, she, she can take care of this part and this part over here. He doesn't need to be there for that scene." <laughs> Give the woman her independence. <laughs> <laughs> it's the twenty eighth century. Yeah. Um, but I think it turned out well in the end. Uh, yeah. After after the editing, there. Uh, yeah, page fifty two. He's he's kind of there in the corner, looking at the monitor. He's not enormous in that picture, but he had to fit in the frame, so. Legit. That'd be hard to do otherwise. He's freaking mm-hmm. huge. Okay, I'll grab my copy of the book and, and look for him later on. Uh, so what do you get a planet-spanning, drifting loner bioprobe for Christmas? Uh, she is very fond of eating things. Oh. It's, it's, not, it's not really food, necessarily. She just eats things. <laughs> and, um, I get to- she, her her perception is entirely based on movement or perceived uh, goals. It's a little vague, but basically, if she's holding still, she can't really um, perceive things very well. So, get a treadmill, I guess. Would be pretty okay. good. So, moving chocolates. <laughs> you know, you can just throw throw chocolates in the air like clay pigeons. That'll work pretty well. <laughs> uh, or just throw clay pigeons. She'd eat that too. So, the next character biome. I think I've actually somewhat literally met these people since they are in the most recent contract. Yeah. Um, the, the version that you guys played, I don't think, um, had these characters in it cause I hadn't, I hadn't made them up for the cast. So you had kind of other standard NPCs, but there were a few that were similar to the motifs that went through. So you have like a beta version of these characters. 
So the the new contract is called Hope, uh, and it's kind of a, um, it reminds me a fair bit of the early kind of New Mutant style of comic book, where it's as much about the social drama of some fairly precocious youth as anything else. Uh, Definite teen drama stuff happening there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, the hope with this one was to to create a an environment that felt, I guess, comfortable and diverse enough that you could exist in it for several sessions through like several days. So, hope is the first contract. I think. I think. Pretty sure. Yeah, uh, is the first contract that has actually taken the place over the course of several days. Hmm. So your your interviews with these characters aren't just like like when you were dealing with the um, Echoes contract. You you deal with those characters through the course of a single day and you interview them all, but you're only with them for an hour or two. Right. It's very it's it's more linear. This is more more a sandbox that uh, then goes on to melt. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of little hints of how this is how this character behaves. This is you know their motivation, and then there's a lot of hoping that the uh, the guide will be able to improv and kind of work with them it's an experiment as they all are hopefully people will enjoy it i think the game runs in a really exciting way when it's not being fraught with technical difficulties (laughs) but that remains to be seen until people try it so hopefully people try it so in the in the plot uh there's a set of um like 10 16 15 or so young adultish type people kids that are a part of a luxury program doing a sort of space camp operation and then the PCs are assigned to help assist and possibly rescue down the road. Yeah. Without, without getting too far into the things that occur, um, you're, you're, you're standing in as teachers and, and kind of chaperones and you get to meet a lot of the characters and they have a diverse array of backstories to kind of play around with, but it really promotes that. Like you're not waiting for something to happen. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to have several days here with these people. You're actually teaching classes that you depict. So get to know the characters a bit. Yeah, I really like the sort of social exploratory angle on this one. It's a neat take on uh, on a contract. If it works out well, I'm hoping to do other ones in in a similar vein because I think it's a a fun different way to do it. You know, having a combat and every contract is expected but predictable. Well, particularly so, when the contracts the contracts tend to be kind of uh, fairly pocket sized right now. I mean, they're not they're not big books. Yeah, no, they're 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 petite. There just isn't time to make other ones to them. And you know, the the thought is that people are running their own plots, right? So this is something that you can kind of shove in there when you're looking for downtime between the bigger story. I do hope to make a larger you know setting thing, but it comes down to time. So Cree. Cree has to be the cutest character in any. Well, there's a there's a Thor guitar right over her, so I'm not sure I can finish that sentence. But she's one of definitely top three cutest characters in all of HSD. You liked her? That's cool. Um, uh, she's you, adorable. Did you did you read the? Um, I don't know if you got through the whole contract or not. Uh, skimmed. I hadn't really had too much time to read it. I got it yesterday. Okay. Yeah. I just I I, I put in enough information that I, that I feel is enough. But until people actually read it, you know, I, I don't know if it's over or under or or whatever yet. Um. But she's fun. She and Sasha are part of a and possibly some of the other characters too. Willow potentially were part of what was going to be and may still be a attempted video game in hopes to try to bring a broader audience into HSD's kind of circle. And I, I'm going to be looking into that at some point in the, the near future just to explore its practicality. I don't think a large-scale one is all that terribly practical, but if you if you, you think of things like Undertale or something, smaller operations that just told a really solid story would be a worthwhile thing to pursue. 
who, who in your head, who's the kind of point of view character of this, this work? So in, in this particular story, and again, because it's all hypothetical right now, I don't really mind the, the spoiler thing because it'll be fun to go through when we get to it. But um, the, the, the game would begin with Sasha and Kree, who are, who are good friends, and you would kind of begin to learn about the world a little bit. They would be going off to um, do something forward in their lives. I assumed it was like going to a college or something like that. You know, you'd, you'd set it around that side, uh, young adult. And um, you, you follow these characters for a little while on a brawl beginning of their story like a prelude wherein they are deciding fun things to do i was gonna do like a a a little you know they they are part of a little adventuring a little adventuring quote group that is like cryptid hunters where they're they're just trying to explore fun things that they find in the areas it's it's a it's a kitty corp yeah it's it's a a little um you know like a youtube you know group so they go around and record and 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 stuff like that they they got to get a talking dog lateral (laughs) That's a little on the nose, but I guess I'll let it get. I mean, that'll work. But yeah, they, they, they are, are trying to explore and get this thing kind of off the ground so that they can make a name for themselves. And uh, at one of these, quote, missions, um, they actually end up encountering something that is a lot more dangerous than they really expected to. You know, most of the times you go hunting a cryptid, you figure you're going to find something bumping against a wall, not, not really an actual thing. In this case, they encounter a monster, and the monster proceeds to be chasing them down and causing all kinds of damage and is, is a very lethal force. And at one point, and this is pretty close to the beginning of the game, after you've gotten to know the characters a little bit, you, you're running to the end of the hallway and you're faced with kind of this choice that, that Kree is given. She can either push Sasha out a window into a pool to save her while staying as bait for the creature herself, or she can jump out the window and leave Sasha there. It's supposed to be like a split-second decision of, are you going to push the friend out, or are you going to push yourself out? And whoever stays behind, whether it's Sasha or Kree, gets consumed by the creature. Hmm. Uh, the creature is an exonymph named Miss, and this is the first brain that she consumes. Oh, baby exonymph. Okay. Yeah. So... The escapee escapes, the creature becomes intelligent and emerges as an exonymph, and is now the game diverges where the point of view character, the player character, is the exonymph. Um, And that is uh, a a way to bring in people who who might be turned off by the furry motif. You're not playing as a furry, you're playing as a crazy alien. Everybody loves crazy aliens. (laughs) It's It's a thing. Um, but it also allows for really fun storytelling. Now you have somebody who has the the memories and emotion or, and thoughts of somebody who was a good friend to this other person that they have to kind of wrangle with. The story changes dramatically depending on who it was that you wanted to consume. So the way you approach the plots is different. Your skill set is different. And then the character that you then talk to for the rest of the game has a whole different outlook on it so if you if you have Kree's emotions and Kree's, Kree's memories and you're trying to talk to Sasha it's a different story than if you have Sasha's and you're trying to talk to Kree and that continues through several different conceptions as the game goes on there'd probably be a total of like four brains out of like you get four ah. but there's eight different options I think I think there's a, a fun um, independent games have kind of shown that there is a definite market for this idea of exploring emotion through the, the, the eyes of a character that is that is able to kind of get multiple inputs at once. We, we've seen all kinds of fun storytelling done in that in the indie department between things like Undertale or things like Night in the Woods, you know, just where, where the primary interaction is just kind of dealing with characters talking to each other and you're not even pushing anything else except for occasional fun gameplay. Uh, and I, I think that is not too large a project to attempt. I just need to figure out what I'm going to do it in and when. 
kind of an evolution of the virtual novel almost. Yeah, well, it was. It, it, this was originally going to be a webcomic, but it turns out that's more expensive than a game. <laughs> it's a longer-term investment. Yeah. So the reason I think Cree is like arguably the most adorable thing in the entire HSD universe is she is a teenage anthro lovebird, and she's this darling little parakeety thing in yellows and pinks and blues, and just so cute. <laughs> and she can't fly, which is sad cute too. Oh no, no, she, no wings. Oh, you're right, no uh, wings. She's got wings. Um, the wings actually didn't get into the artwork. That was oh, okay. <laughs> that was an error. <laughs> oh, wow. um, but uh, she just never learned. Is all. Um, it's hmm. been brought up a few times in in HSD that that learning to fly is a investment in training. You know, you can do it, but it's a whole lot of upper body strength, and you need to be in good shape, and you need to be very careful because if you screw it up, you're going to die. And for, it's just not cut out for everybody. She's got a fear of heights, and she isn't in the greatest physical shape, and she would just be dangerous in the sky and doesn't want to try it. So we meet a lot of the characters, supporting characters in the, the Hope novel. Uh, some of them are pretty cute. It's a story that's as much about building a relationship with a, a mini community as uh, a standard contract might be. Uh, so there's some really cute guys in this one, and there's also Willow. Uh, who is uh, Cree going to be spending the holidays with this year? Uh, Cree will likely be spending the holidays in front of various simulators and or video games. Uh, oh. and, or hiding from family, as kids likes to do. Um, or she'll be with Sasha. <laughs> Cree is a, 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 a solitary, um, not terribly confident individual. Uh, especially at that at that age, so she's she's very friendly and very happy and wants to 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 help people out. But like her 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 impression of what's going to be going on for party time consists of you know the newest version of Pokemon Uranium at this point. So the Nath thing isn't going to be a this year affair. Uh, she <laughs> so Cree is a you know this doesn't necessarily come with the contract because I can't just fill it with text around stuff. But the way I envision Cree is yeah she's not terribly confident. Yes, yeah, she's easily um, kind of led around because she she doesn't she capitulates easily and doesn't really want to get into a fight. But she's not dumb, and Nath has a lot of growing that he needs to do before he's really safe to approach. <laughs> is, um, she is aware of it. You know, she's she's flattered that he's kind of nice to her, and she's she's really kind of taken that like the cute guy is 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 being neat to her. But given half a chance to think it over, she'd be like, "Oh no, wait, you're you're actually kind of more trouble than I need at the moment." Yeah, and Nath seems to fill the role of edgy and somewhat dangerous crush. <laughs> A bit, yeah. He's, um, I mean, he's supposed to be a a reasonably likable guy. I wasn't really going for for edgy with him so much as just popular. Yeah, maybe um, that's art. Yeah, art art I mean, kind of lends him that way. He has sharp edges physically. Yes. Well, yeah, he's a, he's a cog. <laughs> made, made of mechanical bits that might cut you if approached the wrong way. But his bigger thing is that he just doesn't know how to to relate to people in ways that don't consist of competition. Sasha and Cree are a really good pair because Cree is, she seems like the kind of the responsible pack family type one. And Sasha is more outgoing. I don't know where she got that outfit, but she's, she's a, <laughs> the 80s, she, 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 if you missed it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was there for some of it. She's, <laughs> she, she's the more outgoing uh, social face character. So they, they seem to be a really well-balanced uh, pair there. It's pretty one of them's going to have to be eaten by a bug. But that is, that is kind of the, um, I mean, that's part of the story that I'm hoping for. You you will have an impression of the relationship based on viewing it ahead of time. And then when one of them is consumed, you will have the interior thoughts 
which are different hmm. thoughts, as they tend to be with most relationships. So Sasha is actually more jealous of Kree than most people, I think, would really expect her to be, especially since Sasha is arguably more popular and more successful at you know the variety of most metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, but she uh, envies the, the sort of ability Sasha has to essentially not be concerned about those things, or at least not openly concerned about them. Okay. Whereas they, okay. they kind of occupy her every thought, so... There's a certain freedom in avoiding the social swirl. Yeah. She, she's so in... There's little bios in the back of the contract for all of them so that the guide has things to work with, and, and Sasha is described as somebody who, is, who has accomplished all the things that she's accomplished because she was pushed to do them and didn't really feel like she had the choice to say no. Uh, two more questions about specifically about this contract. Since I guess it's the next HSD product that's coming out. Uh, when is it going to be available to the general public? Probably, um, I think I was going to try to finalize the art next week. Okay, so end, end of December, certainly, it'll be on uh, Drive-Thru RPG? Yeah, around there. Uh, well, so I have to wait for proofs before that comes through. So it, it'll be January, oh. just because proofs take a while. Okay, and uh, I see there's another signature character that made it into this contract. A very young Willow. Yeah, uh, this is her, her kind of first impression. Willow was going to be part of, of, of the... Um, the story involving Rio's stuff, but her her own story isn't really as tied into everybody else's in the same regards that like all these other ones are. Most of them have tie-ins. Willow just kind of exists and is interesting. Where she ends up is kind of floating. It's going to be wherever I need her to be at the time. Yeah, it makes the timetable of this specific module kind of up in the air because when is it taking place? Yeah, at the moment, none of the contracts are locked to a particular era. Like they, they don't need to be happening in sequence to each other. Um, that may I may eventually make a canon timeline for when each one is happening. But uh, uh, like if we if this video game comes to pass, you're gonna be dealing with an older Kree and an older Sasha than you you see in this contract. It'll be several years later. So we're looking at a, a very young fond version of Blue who has idea what the world has in store for her in a few years. <laughs> yes. Um, so, she starts figuring it out in this one, which is kind so of, much, um, yeah. So much death. <laughs> she holds down the medical wing of this one pretty well. Opening up the kind of the last uh, biome, I guess. This one is more Willow's native land and has uh, two, I think, two of the better known characters in HSD, certainly the better known named ones that we've work with uh elsie and the stranger are kind of a little mm. little pocket of this world yeah i think um in terms of overall dialogue they actually had the longest segment of everybody excluding Feyren, who had a book but uh True. yeah the, the big thing with elsie and stranger just ended up taking up a big chunk of of core extended so you got a chance to actually know them a little bit yeah it's maybe the only character in the game books that we actually can build a relationship with mm. And she goes on to be uh, she goes on to be shadow president of. Well, of she was at the, yeah. She actually was at the time. Just oh. doesn't know it. Yeah, it it happened as soon as her father died. So it just transferred over. That was the way it was set. So this little character plot we have uh, Elsie and the stranger. It's kind of implied they're going to be doing a lot of work with some of the more alien Xeno populations of uh, Soul mm-hmm. as they go forward. So we've got the stranger who's. What what is he exactly? He's a bellman. Okay, okay. I I feel like he was floating in one scene, but maybe that's just perching on his tail. No, he was just perching on his tail. Yeah, he's okay. He does Very that. Ro- robust tails, and we've got a maybe a selkie. When I've never seen one of those in a book yet. I mean, I read the description, and sound in silence. Yeah, they they haven't had any speaking roles yet. Yeah, they'd be, kind of be bubbling underwater for the most part. Uh, and another another pale man as well. And Elsie is kind of the 
speaker to Xenomorph's character here. Yeah, essentially. She's she's a mix of a lot of different things. She's got kind of a Princess Mononoke feel to her going forward in that she is she is part of another world. You know, a member of this world that has been moved into another one. So she's she's inundated with with paleman politics and some of the other you know motives of races that aren't vector. She inherits some transcendent abilities, you know, on behalf of her shadow and and a few other parts. She's a radiant, so she already has some transcendent abilities. Yeah, that's um, that's Im- that's implied in the core extended book. Yeah. Her her role as shadow president becomes a big issue with the Paleman later on, uh, which is part of her bigger plot too. So Elsie's plot is one of the ones that, you know, this could make several good novels and I, I kinda pitch them out to the, the, the writers when they go on. The tricky one about the Elsie plot is that it relies really heavily on lore specific material. So. And you're dealing with a dealing with a very young character and some very alien characters that must make storytelling tricky. Yeah, uh, well, her big story takes place a little later in her life, right? So for okay. the first, you know, once we we have the part where she goes with Stranger, and they kind of leave the planet, and then for for several years after that, you're kind of dealing with just growing up and staying alive and keeping on the move. Her her actual larger plot line, which is dealing with the Paleman plot line that's discussed in Sound and Silence, takes place when she's like a teenager. She's like 16 okay. or so. Uh, how does Willow intersect with her world? Um, so, ideally, it's like I mentioned, Willow's overall role is flexible. Um, she's just somebody who is a, a good medic and who is able to, to kind of take danger face on and is a good tie-in for, for Progenitus. So yeah. ideally, she would be a contact. Maybe she encounters her on a battlefield or, or you know, just finds her randomly throughout a plot. As a Progenitus combat medic, she's, she can be anywhere in Seoul and taking an active role in any number of strange, strange environments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she'd basically be support cast for this. Probably somebody who, who knows a little bit more about what she's going into. She might actually be somebody who's privy to the pale man. They do have vector allies. You know, they're, they're intelligent creatures. They, they know that their army needs to be bigger than just the number that they have. So they, they find sympathizers and things like that. They're careful about it because they need to stay hidden. But there are several more than just Elsie. And this is, it seems like a very kind of not pro TTI as a group. <laughs> yeah. Not, not big on it. She, uh, she becomes a, not, not a foil for temper, but uh, a loose cannon that has to be kind of watched after because she can, she can throw big wrenches into things as she gets forward. Not, not specifically because she's the shadow president. She doesn't really figure that out for a long time, but she has the backing of stranger who has the backing of many loyal essentially super soldiers so at any given point they can go into a base and remove the problems in that base and leave again if, if they can get there transportation and logistics yeah. are, are, are tricky they manage to get off of earth you know they're, they're tricky that's the thing they can hide in a suitcase that's like half their size they're they're bizarre and malleable another strange fact that i'm gonna hold on to <laughs> well they do it neon did you play through eon I never have. I've read it, but yeah. then Ash- Ashtar stole all my contracts. <laughs> well, they they are able to to flex in all kinds of scary ways, so they can they can compress and hide and and be in places you wouldn't expect them to be. Oh, okay. So I know we kind of agreed to disagree on this particular point of Christmas cosmology, but specifically Elsie, I feel like a lot of her plot is kind of holding on to innocence in the face of a hostile and strange world and that's maybe a lot of her kind of early adolescent plotline is going to be involved in those challenges can we classify her as nice at this point 
That's I need to know. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, I, I mean, I classify most of them as nice, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would think so. Stranger likes her. No, it's, he's got strange taste, though. I mean, he's sure. well. Never mind. People he, are strange when you're a stranger. Oh dear. Yep, you can keep um, that one in there. I expect that no, to I'm, show up. I'm gonna leave it. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe a ringtone in the future. He's actually he's more than just the alien guy too. I want him to be a more identifiable, personable character than this guy is just bizarre looking. That's his unique trait. A stranger is a, a fan of like John Wayne movies and boxing. It's kind of things that he enjoys watching. <laughs> well, in, in his initial role is um, he's the outsider that has to have the world explained to him. I mean, yeah. he's, uh, he's well, there. He's yeah. It's an, it's a narrative a narrative advice, mm-hmm. which that's his role for that scene for the players. Um, it's also the same role that Nadia plays. So um, in the in the first novel, it's like welcome to your your intro to this universe. We're going to have the character that's kind of only experienced a part of it, who gets mentored by this other character that's seen more of it, and you'll you'll get exposed a little bit as time goes on. But beyond that, Stranger is is kind of a unique pale man. They they are able to mimic voices perfectly. Stranger doesn't. Stranger sounds like a, a creepy, weird, drawled out thing, and it's because he he chose to give himself a voice rather than than being mimicry, which is a personal decision. So when you when you encounter other pale men and other contracts, they just talk. They don't do the the whole long, drawn out, creepy voice that he does. Uh, and they can talk in any any voice they want to. Um, but he he has created one that is himself. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, yeah, they, they, they're established as kind of a mimic race in Eon. That's a major plot element. So I can't imagine him singing. That's good. That's, that's, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Hey, well, he's capable of doing it. <laughs> he just doesn't necessarily. We, we, could, we could choose not to. <laughs> sort of a John, John Wayne vocal at that point. Where are they? Drifting around in space with the rest of the space junk. So... One thing I tend to do to wrap up my episodes on the podcast is talk about like a, a news article of some sort. So I saw some things that I was like, oh, that's cool, but I haven't been able to verify any of them. There was some news saying that uh, that uh, scientists had managed to to properly engineer brain cells, which might oh. allow for, for, for brain reconstruction for critical injury. But I haven't been able to look into it and see if that's just a, you know, a hoaxy headline to grab people or not. But that was one that was kind of interesting. Uh, there's also the growing concern that, um, I mean, this is this is more of a heads up. Your world is terrible, but <laughs> there, we knew we we knew that. But yeah, but, I mean, sometimes the extent of the terror is not fully known. So what's a jiggle? I think it's Allstate. This is my my random rant for the evening, I guess. Uh, Allstate has a has introduced a Sly app that they call it like the good driver discount, where it, it maps oh. your, your driving habits, and if you're you're doing things they want you to do, they will they will quote discount your product. And despite all of my rage and and shaking, people are downloading it. It's got a a rating and is being moved at, at multiple thousands to millions of downloads and and oh. you don't understand the trend you're going down. <laughs> you need to you need to comprehend what power you're handing over here. It won't be a discount for long. It will be mandatory soon. <laughs> uh, and as somebody who is a a sufferer of a chronic illness that has a constant monitor attached to his body, it won't be long before the healthcare industries do the same damn thing. So, 
As, as someone who's just a terrible driver, I'm not in favor of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I bring this up specifically because um, people brought up in the past that HSD looks utopian. And it's just, no, you don't understand. Hell isn't going to arrive on flaming red horses. Hell is a subtle thing you invite into your phone. <laughs> that then demands that you eat with a certain diet and control your life in a certain way or you will not be given the necessities to continue living. Welcome to the hell that is only a few years away. Uh, there's a there's a question on the HSD chat, so maybe we can get to that in 30 seconds. I'm going to name drop the article that I wanted to bring, which has the title, These Huge 3D Printers Want to Save the Earth and Maybe Mars. Yeah. This is... Not as epic as the headline sounds, but the idea is that this one company is designing fairly large-scale 3D printers that currently can make something about two foot on a side. But in the text of the article says, and yet we're looking at them to build cities in the future. So uh, have, you seen the, tends- have you seen the cement one? It's pretty cool. I have actually, yeah. I saw it. Ma- it makes like dome houses really yeah, well. Yeah, it, it, uh, it can make square houses. It basically spits out bricks. It kind of it kind of makes them. They're like oblong and stuff. It's like sandbags, but they stack, and it just goes around. Yeah. It makes a makes a floor plan. That was a neat one, yeah. And I did see that one. I was really interested in uh, both three D printing and disposable housing for a while. But as as three D printer goes to Mars, go this is uh, pretty spot on in terms of the HSD timeline, which may be more rapid uh, than we are possibly expecting right now. <laughs> I always assumed that's what the Tesla car was going to turn into when it crashed. Just unfolds into like some other unit that starts printing, you know, the other side of the teleporter. Uh, So the question from James is uh, face suits and angels work. Uh, Oh, angels. That's what you call the bird bird morphs. Yeah. It's the, the, the bird tars that have the wings on their backs as opposed to the wing arms and stuff. I actually think it would work easier for them than it would for standard birds when you think about it. Well, yeah. And like, if you're like in low atmosphere, you can kind of just use the jets and then the wings to kind of pilot, but in in Mm -hmm. space, um, I'd say inconvenient. Uh, The answer is, do you want to play one or not? Jesus, just put on the suit and call it good. Well, it doesn't seem like it, it's, it seems like it'd be easier than antlers, which you have to kind yeah, of... Yeah, the antlers are, are another tricky one. The antlers I yeah. had the, the most pain in the ass time with when I was originally trying to figure out the uh, the logistics of like how to make this fun Animal Kingdom be a space game. Right. You need like a complicated Ziploc helmet that goes around them. Pretty so much, yeah. Um, the, wing, and, the wings you just wings you just wear on your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the wings I would think would go into a backpack of some sort, or they'd fold up, or they'd just have an extra zipper or something like that to to handle it. Um, you can't really use them in space because right. hard vacuum. Put put stabilizers on the side of them or something. Yeah, but they'd be very pretty. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they felt the need to attach wings to a Gundam in a movie, I, I can't be held against me for this. That's, that's <laughs> Well, we have yet to see a winged spacesuit in canon yet, so yeah, you're, 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 you're off the hook on this one for now. I did do the miniature that had the tail sack, though, for, for holding the tail in. I actually thought it looked pretty good. No, I like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's going to be a fairly common one. Do people have their tails removed ever? That just seems... Yeah, it's something no. that, that has actually come up. I've heard from other stories or from, from player groups before, people that have kind of pitched that as a thing that they did. Um, it's certainly not something that I insist on in any of the lore pieces. You're, you're, any game that you do, you're always balancing what people want to be versus what the, the lore would kind of suggest. And yeah, it's it would be really inconvenient to have a whole head of antlers, especially if you plan on being a spacer. But I don't really want to stop you from doing it. Right. And for the tails, I mean, it's more if you're an otter or a lizard or something, it's a major impediment. Otherwise, yeah, just put it in the tail. Talk. 
Thank you, James. (laughs) (laughs) My finger is tired from pressing buttons. I think I'll go put it to bed. Looking forward to the magazine in the near future. That'll be really exciting. Lovely. I'm getting sketches done for the... um for the intro one, and then I'm probably going to do a, a, a just a test run. The magazine, uh, just to, to kind of comment on it, it's not it's not a, a big thing. The whole idea behind it is I need it to be something that I can continue making content for without sucking down all my time. Right, and yeah. it's pure color. It's 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 pure color, and that's great. Right. Well, so it's actually going to be a mix of both, but the the content that it provides is going to be stuff like here is a building diagram. So the way that I have it structured. Or in my head is that Lonnie's going to have a conversation about something, maybe an event, maybe something in the lore, just to give you a piece of the lore. And then she's going to be like, you know, by the way, I saw this great, you know, bank or whatever the other day. If you're planning on robbing it, here's what you need. And she sells you a blueprint. <laughs> and the back page is just a map that you can use for whatever it is you want to do. <laughs> and my glasses. Spyglass is so so ethically dubious. So then the back the back page of the thing, which it'll probably only be a two page or a three page, you know, each one of the little magazine things will be like a map and little details on the map. Here's a security system. Here's what the check would require to get past it. Here are things that you can spawn in it. Here's your one page adventure go uh, for for just people to have as an asset. So uh, thanks a whole lot for for this opportunity. Uh, it's always nice chatting with you, Sev, and. Um, to to you and to our uh, twenty odd listeners, uh, happy holidays! Happy holidays, all! Thanks for dropping in. <laughs> Intro music is Future Club, and outro music is Chronicles, both by Serious Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos, and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. 